0: Cigarettes were being extinguished and palmed for a later date as the damage control party shot to their feet and attempted a semblance of naval readiness. The bloke was Commander Maitland, a tall, stooped, imperious figure who breathed from a rarefied atmosphere. He was the executive officer, second only to the captain, and his job was to be the captain's representative on Earth, to know the captain's will and make it so. Beside him, the jaunty, master-at-arms Beddo, seemed equally tall, but with a scrawny, more menacing mien. He was the most senior non-commissioned officer aboard. Technically, Harry was his superior. The jaunty's rank carried with it responsibility only for the crew's discipline, but it would be a truly foolhardy junior officer who would cross him." This one had a reputation for being a right hard horse, even by naval standards. From Commander Maitland's gimlet glare, and the master at armss openly smug fury, Harry knew he was in trouble. His throat went dry, and to his surprise, he began to feel a cold bead of sweat developing along his hairline. ba da doom Another salvo, as if to announce their arrival. The same physical shockwave blow hit Harry, but the blokes' and the jaunty strides never faltered. And then they were on them. Unprompted, Harry's petty officer called the Damage Control Party to attention. Salutes were snapped, then followed a contemptuous delay before either commander or Master-at-Arms responded. Not a word was spoken mainly, even Harry realised, because there were formalities to be observed. Harry was the officer in charge, and so could not be bowled out in front of his men. Equally, his men could not be bowled out in front of him. Commander Maitland, in his gold-braided cap, immaculate watchcoat, with its three intimidatingly gleaming solid gold rings, wrapped in his white muffler, surveyed them all for a long moment before turning on his heel and walking off a few paces. Mr. Gilmore, a moment, if you please. It wasn't a question. Harry leapt after him. The commander stopped so that Harry had to get around him to make his salute. Sir, said Harry in his best naval clip. Another silence then, "'This is one of His Majesty's ships,' said the commander, each word snapped off in steel. "'At action stations, engaging the enemy.' Harry could tell he wanted to go on, but he didn't. This close Harry could see for all the impervious formality of the man. He really was not that old, but he was very, very angry and struggling to control his anger.' Harry managed a quiet, sir, while remaining rigidly at attention. Eventually the commander said, Stand easy. A pause. We will speak later. Meanwhile, you might consider your dispositions, Mr. Gilmore. Aye, aye, sir. The commander had not finished. Should this part of the ship be hit, Mr. Gilmore, your men of the Damage Control Party must inevitably go up with it and therefore be in no position to control any damage that might ensue. Might I suggest that you remove the men into the cover of the A-turret barbette? The A-turret barbette was the armour-plated cylinder linking Redoubtable's forward fifteen-inch gun turret with its magazines below decks, and therefore excellent cover in the event of an enemy hit on the forecastle. Aye, aye, sir. And again Harry leapt to comply, as he marched up to his men, the petty officer was turning away from his conversation with master Adams Beddo, and not looking at all as discomfited as Harry had been expecting. The jaunty was looking, well, quite jaunty. The sailors, as ever, were po-faced. Something important had passed between these men of the lower decks, and more than ever, Harry felt judged and humiliated by this new world to which he had been condemned.